The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Jeremiah chapter number 31. We're going to read verse number 31 this morning. And last week we started off this series in the book of Hebrews. And the author of the book of Hebrews was quoting the passage that we're going to look at here in Jeremiah this morning. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Let me just thank you for coming out and being a part for our brand new series, The New Covenant. And we're excited about moving through this theological study uh, that I hope will help each and every one of us have a stronger framework for how to biblically interpret both Old Testament and New Testament passages of Scripture. So before I begin, let me encourage you with this. If you weren't here last week, I really strongly want to encourage you to get that message. It really does lay the framework for where we're going here in this entire series, and I really believe it'll help you make sense of where we're going in the weeks ahead. So you can get that on the website, www.fresnochurch.com. I hope you'll listen to that, and that'll catch you up to speed with where we're going here in the next upcoming few weeks. Uh, How many of you, in light of the news and all of the snowstorms that are taking place in the Midwest and the East Coast, how many of you are thankful we live in California about right now? I mean, uh, praise the Lord for that, and that's a huge blessing. I know a lot of people are having a hard time getting around, and so that's a huge encouragement, something to thank the Lord for, and we praise the Lord just for uh, the ability to be able to get to church and get here safely, so I praise the Lord for that, and uh, I just want to say thanks to all of you. Uh, It seems like more folks are sitting up close, so I appreciate that. That's always encouraging. Thank you guys so much, and I'll try to do my best here not to get too much uh, uh, holy spit all over you guys, all right? And you say, what makes it holy? I don't know why I said that. I'm not really sure, but uh, we're going to have a good time here uh, this morning. Jeremiah is where we're going to be. Last week, we started this series with a message simply entitled, Clarifying the Covenant, Part 1. And we made it all the way through the introduction. Some of you were getting a little bit nervous about 40 minutes into it when you realized, wait a second, pastor hasn't even made it to point one yet, and uh, we're really moving along. And so this is part two of the sermon that we started last week entitled, Clarifying the Covenant. Let me just take a brief moment to catch those of us who weren't here last week up to speed, and then we'll move right into the rest of our sermon here uh, today. Um, Our big idea for this entire series is simply this, that the way you interpret God's love for you will deeply influence the way you love God. And so it's very important for us as believers to have a proper interpretational framework. We use the phrase a hermeneutical theology for how we interpret biblical text. Because if we're not able to interpret the Bible properly, we're not going to understand how deeply God really loves us. And if we don't understand his love deeply, we have no hope to love him the way he deserves to be loved. We said it this way, if you fail to experience God's deep love for you, you'll fail to love God deeply. And that's derived from 1 John chapter number 4, verse 19, where the Bible declares, we love him because he first loved us. You see, our love for God is entirely responsive. 
only to the degree that we understand and really experience God's love for us can we love and enjoy God in return. And so this is the big idea of this entire series. It's why we're moving through this study. It's why I'm very, very um, um, just passionate about wanting us to understand how to properly interpret uh, these texts because it's very easy for us to misinterpret particular passages of the Bible and in doing so misunderstand how deep and how rich and how wonderful God's love for us really is. And, and when we miss that, we have no hope in loving God and serving God and living for God in a way that would truly glorify and honor Him. And so that's kind of the big idea. Uh, we started the sermon last week sharing an illustration of, from a gentleman, uh, kind of uh, eccentric guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs, and uh, he went out and literally did his best to try to live out all 600 plus commands found in the entire Bible, and it was strange and it was confusing, and we use that as an illustration to illustrate the reality that many Christians today use the same biblical interpretational framework to understand the Bible uh, that Mr. Jacobs used in writing his New York Times best-selling book. And he was obviously off. He obviously misunderstood, misread, misinterpreted vast portions of the Scripture. And yet many of us as Christians who live in a postmodern secular society, we use the exact same biblical interpretational framework to understand the Bible ourselves. And it explains why we are so confused and, and why when we go to certain passages of the Bible, we can't seem to make sense of them. We can't seem to reconcile them. And so we're taking some time to move through this series and our biggest desire is to really give you a biblical framework for how to interpret Old Testament texts, how to properly interpret New Covenant, or what we would refer to as New Testament texts, so that when we're reading the Bible, when we're interpreting the Bible, when we're studying the Bible, we are actually doing it properly. Uh, the Bible reminds us that we are to properly divide the word of truth, which means if there is a proper way to do it, there is also an improper way to do it. And the more I talk to Christians, the more I realize that we, for the most part, do not have a proper biblical framework for interpreting the scriptures accurately. And so that's what we want to give you in this series. We want to give you a framework. We want to give you a paradigm through which you can interpret biblical texts in a way that accurately matches what the Holy Spirit intended to say when he inspired these biblical passages. And that's really our heartbeat here today. So, uh, as we said last week, this initial few sermons is very academic in nature. We're going to take some time just to lay a scholarly, intellectual, academic foundation so that when we begin to unpack it in the weeks ahead, uh, we'll have a clear understanding of what really is taking place. So uh, basically today all I want to do is help us understand what a covenant is, all right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. I hope by the end of the service here today you'll be able to walk out and have a very crystal clear understanding, a, a crystal clear definition of what 
a covenant is. So that's our heartbeat, that's our desire, and that's what we're going to dive into a little bit today. So if you have your service program that you should have received on your way in today, let's pull those out, and we're going to dive right in by starting with the defining the essence of a covenant. We're going to get right into it this morning, defining the essence of a covenant. What is a covenant? It's not a word that we commonly use in our modern vernacular. It's, it's not a word that we throw around every day at work and in our homes. And so if we're going to understand a proper covenant understanding, it, it starts with really understanding the very etymology of the word covenant itself. And so basically this morning, that's what we're going to attempt to do. We're going to attempt to give you just a proper uh, covenant understanding or a proper definition of this word covenant. So what does the word covenant even mean? If you want to jot this down in your notes, it is a formal relationship founded on love generosity and commitment. Notice that word, formal relationship. What's driving it? Is it driven by, you know, uh, a selfish desire? No, it's, it's founded on love. Is it founded on what we can get or what the person initiating the covenant relationship can get? No, it's founded on generosity. And it's founded ultimately on commitment, regardless of how the other party responds the person making the covenant has stated that it is a committed, dedicated relationship that they're getting themselves into. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourselves, can't we come up with a better word than covenant? I mean, it seems like an archaic word. It seems like an ancient word. Why are we even using this particular terminology? And uh, the answer to that question really is no. You say, why is that? Because our modern language doesn't even really have a category for this type of relationship anymore. You see, a covenant relationship is very unique. A covenant relationship is very special. And in 21st century America, we don't have vocabulary. We don't even have phrases that speak into this type of relationship. So in, in light of that... Uh, we're just going to stick with the Bible word and use the word covenant and then do our best to help you understand what that means uh, as we move through our study here today. So uh, there are basically two types of relationships, and I know I'm broad brushing to some degree, uh, but for the sake of our study here this morning, there are basically two types of relationships, and we're going to call those two types of relationships. Number one, we're going to talk about covenant relationships and that really is the type of relationship that God has with his people. And then we're going to talk about a second type of relationship. And that is what we're going to call contractual relationships. So let's get in, uh, interactive for just a moment. The first type of relationship that we're going to talk about this morning is a what? Together? Covenant type relationship. And then our second type of relationship that we're going to unpack this morning is a what? contractual type of relationship. And so these are the two types of relationships that I want us to kind of wrap our head around. And so in, in, in attempts to help us better understand what a covenant relationship is, 
I want to contrast a covenant relationship with a contractual relationship, all right? So let me uh, take some time to help you understand these two types of relationships. And in contrasting them one with another, I really hope what we're going to be able to do is help you more deeply and thoroughly understand what covenant relationship is and the type of relationships that God has with his people. So let's start today by looking at contractual relationships first. If you have your outline and there's a couple words you want to put next to the phrase covenant relationship, you you might want to jot down these words. Uh, A contractual relationship is consumer-oriented. All right, so if you're engaged, if you enter into a contractual relationship, it's consumer-oriented. Secondly, we might say a contractual relationship is conditional. It's conditional to what the other part in the party, what they do and how they respond, all right? So let me give you some maybe fun illustrations of contractual types of relationships. So I have some contractual relationships in my life, and let me give you a few. Number one, uh, we have a contractual relationship, my wife and I, uh, with Costco, How many of you have a contractual relationship with Costco? Raise your hand, all right? You got a contractual relationship with Costco? How many of you, you're not of the Costco persuasion, you are of the Sam's Club persuasion, and you have a contractual relationship with Sam's Club? You raise your hand, all right, not quite as many. Do we have any who have contractual relationships with both Costco and with Sam's Club? All right, there's a few of us, and uh, man, we, we just, we want access to all of it. Now, when you enter into a contractual relationship with Costco, Uh, with Sam's Club or with any big box retailer, basically what you're doing is you're entering into a consumer-oriented, conditional type of relationship. So when I entered into that relationship, there were some things I wanted to get out of my relationship with Costco. You say, Pastor, what is it that you wanted to get out of your relationship? Basically, I wanted very large, excessive quantities of everything in my relationship with Costco. So whether it was toilet paper or Cheerios, I knew in my relationship with Costco, I was going to get excessive amounts of that product, you know? Uh, I was also, no, when I entered into that relationship and uh, my expectations going into that relationship was also that I would get many, many free samples every time I went into Costco. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? You go into Costco and there's a general expectation that when you go in, you show them your card, you are going to get free samples, and you're going to get to try this, and you're going to get to try that. Uh, Personally, this might not be for you. When I entered into my relationship, my contractual relationship with Costco, I had some expectations uh, that I would always have made available to me $1.50 hot dogs, all right? And that was a very important part of my relationship with Costco, and uh, I have this general expectation that no matter how many decades go by, that they will never raise the rate of their $1.50 hot dogs. I just, for, for, from here to infinity, I expect that they'll have for $1.50 that hot dog and that soda. And so as we move into these contractual types of relationships, there are general expectations that we have from them. We expect from a consumer mindset that there are certain things we're going to get out of the relationship. I'm going to be honest with you. If I go into Costco And all of a sudden, they stop giving me, you know, good deals on large quantity of items. And if some more time went by, and then they stopped offering their 
free samples and a little bit more time went by and they no longer had their $1.50 hot dogs and all of a sudden the prices started to move up. I would say that I would maybe stop my relationship with Costco because they no longer were giving me what I expected out of the relationship. You say, why is that? Because the relationship is contractual. I'm going to be honest and transparent. The only reason I have a relationship with Costco is for what I can get out of it. I'm not really loyal, in the truest sense of the word, to Costco. They're giving me something that I want, and so I'm willing to enter into a contractual relationship with them. And I think if we were to all be honest, we would understand, hey, if their prices went way through the roof and they stopped offering a lot of these items, it wouldn't be long until your formal relationship with them ended as well because it is a contractual relationship. Another type of contractual relationship that you and I might be involved in is uh, with our local gyms. So does anybody have a gym membership? There's a few folks maybe. You've got a gym membership. I've got a gym membership uh, with George Brown. And I go in there and I expect in my relationship with George Brown, it's a contractual relationship, that he is going to have and offer me a whole lot of exercise equipment that I personally could not afford. And anytime I wish, and my George Brown is open 24-7, I can go at any time that I want, I can go into that George Brown's gym, and I can expect that I'm going to have access to just, just a myriad amount of exercise equipment. Now, let's just imagine for a moment, for the sake of illustration, that one day I go into George Brown... George Brown's gym, and uh, I walk in there, and literally, like, all the exercise equipment is completely gone, and there's nothing in there. I mean, there's no ellipticals, there's no bikes, uh, there's no weights, I mean, absolutely nothing. There's nothing but just maybe a, a little old yoga mat sitting in the middle of that warehouse, all right? That's it. Nothing else there. And uh, George Brown walks out, and uh, I say to George, I say, George, man, I think, I think our relationship's coming to an end. I, I came in here expecting that you were going to provide me with certain amounts of exercise equipment, and so I, I'm thinking this, I mean, it's not here anymore, and that was kind of the expectation. That's what I was expecting to get out of it, and so I think this relationship is going to come to an end, and, and just imagine maybe George saying, but, but wait a second, Josh, I, I, I thought we had something. You know, I thought, I thought, you, know, I, I thought you were committed to this relationship. You say, that would be absurd. What are you talking about? The reality is we know in the world in which we live in, there are a lot of contractual type relationships that we enter into. And we could go on and on and on. You have contractual relationships, some of you with AT&T. Others of you have, you know, contractual relationships with Verizon. Others of you have contractual relationships with Netflix. Some of you have contractual relationships with Comcast. All of us, to some degree, have contractual relationships. And the reason the two parties get involved in this relationship contractually is basically consumer-oriented. Comcast wants a relationship with you so they can get some money from you. We want a relationship with Comcast so we can get Xfinity or we can get cable or we can get internet or whatever it is that they're providing through phone services. And so both parties enter into the relationship for what they can get out of it. 
Costco does the same thing. Yes, it offers us goods and services, but the reason Costco wants a relationship with you is for the $50 membership fee and the money that you're going to spend there while you're at their store. Both parties have kind of what they can get out of it type of relationship with you. These are primarily called contractual type relationships, and it's very important that we understand what these are. You see, when we do this, we begin to understand the type of relationships that exist in our world. Now, let me just kind of define it a little bit more as we're laying the foundation from last week. All contracts have terms. When you enter into a relationship with Costco, you enter into a relationship with Comcast, you enter into a contractual relationship with GB3, you're always going to have to sign on the dotted line because there's always a contract involved. There are terms and conditions that have corresponding benefits and we could say blessings attached to them. But if you fail to meet those conditions, there are penalties and what we'll call curses. If you go too long without paying your Comcast bill, are you going to get a representative calling you up and saying, hey, I know you haven't paid your bill in a while, but I want you to say, I want just you to know it's okay because we love you. How many of you can imagine Comcast doing that, you know? Um, you know, no offense, Brother Jim, all right? I know he works for Comcast. We love Comcast, all right, I guess, and uh, those types of things. No, because that's not the type of relationship Comcast is trying to have with you. They don't, they're not looking for a loving generous, committed relationship. There is a contractual element to their relationship. It's a consumer-oriented relationship. It's contractual in nature. It truly is uh, maybe what we would call consumer-oriented. This is a contractual type of relationship. Now, why did we bring this up? Because I believe if we understand what a contractual relationship is, we can juxtapose it against a covenant type of relationship and in doing so and juxtaposing it with a covenant relationship we can get a deeper more thorough understanding of exactly what a covenant relationship is over the next few weeks we are going to dive deep into exploring the recesses of this covenant relationship that god made with us but if we don't even understand what a covenant relationship is if we don't have a thorough understanding of what covenant demands and what covenant is what's involved in covenant much of what we say over the next few weeks is going to make very little sense to us and so we're just trying to start the foundation begin the foundation here so as we move forward we can more deeply understand this so we talked about contractual relationship if you want to jot down now let's put our second type of relationship and that is covenant relationship covenant relationship let me give you some illustrations from the bible of covenant-type relationships, all right? Covenant is primarily a biblical term, and so it's from the Bible that we get our definitions and illustrations of covenant. Covenant relationships. Let me give you one. Um, family relationships, that is what we would call parent-child relationships, were ordained to be a covenant styled relationship that is it's a covenant that has been based here on love generosity and commitment in the family relationship you, your relationship with your kids 
is to be a covenant-style relationship. You have a relationship with your child. You have initiated a relationship with your child. It is not based on consumer mindsets. Most of you did not have children for what you could get out of them. Most of the time, before you were planning to have children, you and your spouse weren't sitting around and thinking, man, I'm really getting tired of doing the dishes, aren't you? Getting tired of doing the dishes? What, what can we do about that? Don't want to do the dishes? Can't really afford a maid? Ah, I know. Let's have ourselves a child. <laughs> I don't think most of us had that plan going into having children. We, we didn't have the mindset of what we could get from them, all right? It wasn't consumer-oriented. It was founded on, a, on the idea that, man, here's an individual we could love, an individual we could commit ourselves to, that we could be generous to. The parent-child relationship was ordained to be a covenant type of relationship. And to say, for many of you, you have had children that have highly disappointed you at times. They've deeply hurt you. Not only did they not feed your, you know, consumer perspectives and desires, they might have done the exact opposite of those things. But here's what's crazy. There are very, very, very few people, even when their children are just doing everything in their lives possible to make your life miserable. There are very few people who actually disown their children. Who wash their hands of their relationship with their kids and say, forget you. Even in the consumer-oriented society that we live in, like America, where all of our relationships tend to be more consumer-based and contractually-oriented, very rarely, even in this culture, do you hear of parents disowning and disavowing their kids. Because they understand deep down that that parent-child relationship is a covenant relationship. It's not founded on what you can get out of it. It's founded on what you can give to it. It's founded on love. It's founded on generosity. It's founded on commitment. Your relationship with your kid really has very little to do with them. It has everything to do with that commitment that you made, that generosity that you're expressing, and that love that you have for that individual. That becomes the glue that holds a relationship together, not some contract that you signed with your child when he was born or when she was born. It's not contractual. It's covenant. Now, let's move on to another illustration, a biblical illustration of a contractual, I'm sorry, a covenantal-type relationship. One that in our modern society is becoming less and less covenant-oriented and is becoming more and more contractually oriented in the day and age in which we live, and that's the covenant relationship of marriage. Marriage was designed by God to be a covenant-oriented relationship, not primarily a contractually-oriented relationship. In marriage, we enter into it not for what we can get out of it. When we enter into a marriage, we oftentimes will stand before a group of people and we will make vows, not to a pastor, not to a church, not to a denomination. We make vows to God. 
and we commit to God to enter into a covenant-oriented relationship that is not about what we can get out of that relationship, but we enter into that covenant-oriented relationship, at least in the moment of marriage, focused on what we can put into the relationship. And so, from God's perspective, marriage was designed to be primarily a covenant-oriented relationship founded on love, founded on generosity, founded on commitment. And when we make that covenant, we are, we are making a covenant that is irrelevant to how the other party responds because it is covenant in nature. At least in its original form, marriage is to be covenant in nature. And very rarely do we see here us taking the opportunity to say, okay, because they did this, I'm going to do that or such and so. And yet in the 21st century, many, many people enter into marriage without a covenant perspective. And in the 21st century, many, many individuals enter into their marriage with a contractual mindset. Basically, their perspective is, I'll give as long as I'm getting. I'll do as long as they do. And so even from the very beginning, there is a strong contractual consumer-oriented element to it. Now, I'm not so naive as to, um, to know that there are many in this room who've been very, very hurt in the marriage relationship. Because you went into that marriage relationship with a covenant perspective only to find out that later someone else that one you married went in with more of a contractual mindset and so i'm not i'm not teaching this to try to pour salt on a wound that extremely hurts but what i am trying to do is help you to at least get a biblical understanding of what covenant is and how god designed for your children and for your grandchildren not to enter into marriage with a contractual mindset, but to enter into it with a covenant mindset, because this is the way in which God enters into a relationship with you. He enters into a relationship with you as his children in a covenant mindset. And so I want us to understand that here today. One more illustration that the Bible gives us regarding covenant relationship that I think is important for us to bring up for us to deeply understand what covenant relationship is as opposed to contractual relationship. And that is the relationship that God wants you to have with his local church. Now, in the 21st century, basically, many, many Christians have adopted a kind of Burger King mentality to church interactions. They go into a church with the Burger theme motto, or what used to be their motto, my way, right away, Burger King now. Remember their slogan? And many Christians enter into their relationship with a church, a local church, with that contractual, consumer-oriented mindset. I'm in this relationship for what I can get out of, it, out of it. So much like they would enter into a relationship with Costco, they enter into that relationship with the church. 
I don't mind having a relationship with Costco as long as they'll give me uh, massive amounts of, you know, quantity of products for a good price, as long as they'll give me, you know, samples, and as long as they'll give me hot dogs, I'll stay in that relationship because it's a contractual, consumer-oriented, what-I-can-get-out-of-it relationship. This is not how God designed us to enter into a relationship with his local church. He did not design relationship with a local church to be contractual in nature. He designed it to be covenantal in nature. This is one of the reasons why in the day and age in which we live, so many Christians hop from church to church to church to church. And I'm not saying there isn't never a time where God's Spirit leads somebody to go to another church. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to say that. But one of the reasons why there's so much church hopping in the day and age in which we live a lot of it stems back to a paradigm that people have. A paradigm that says that my relationship with our church is contractual. I give my attendance, I'll serve, but I expect religious goods and services in return. And as long as this transaction is happening, I'll stay in the relationship because our perspective, our paradigm is a contractual mindset. It's a contractual uh, paradigm of church attendance. And, and it's because most of our lives, most everything has moved in this direction. Most of our relationships are contractual. There's very little loyalty to our employers anymore. There's very little loyalty to brands anymore. And not that even that was good or bad. It's just what used to be, and, and now it's not as much anymore. And that has carried over to church relationships. So as long as somebody feels like they are getting religious goods and services that they expected, then they kind of hold up their bargain. They'll fill a pew. They'll fill a seat. But there's a contractual mindset to it. But God, as he speaks of your relationship with a local body of believers, a church is not four walls. It's this group of people. When God speaks of a relationship with a local body of believers, he speaks in the language of covenant. Uh, for those of you who have gone through our starting point class, you've heard me say this before. Uh, we don't really emphasize a lot the word church membership, as many churches might, and we're not opposed to that, but we like to use the idea, we like to use the terminology of covenant relationship when you enter into this church world because membership has overtones in the 21st century of what i can get out of it much like our membership with costco our membership with you know the gym our membership with sam's club it's about what i can get out of it how i can get the most out of it and so we have shied away from using that terminology and we like to use terminology that the bible leans into a covenant understanding so we often say to people, if you want something from this church, you don't have to join it. You, you don't have to enter into covenant relationship with us. We, we want to make our worship services available to you. We'll serve you. We'll serve your children in the children's department. We'll uh, serve your babies there in the nurseries. We'll serve you as an individual. If you have needs, we want to be there to meet your needs. You don't have to be in a covenant relationship to get anything from us. There's, there's nothing more you can get than by just being a part of this place. But for those who want to join, we encourage them to enter into covenant relationship. 
an, a place where they say, I'm entering into formally with a relationship that's founded on love, generosity, and commitment. Not focused on what I can get from this relationship with my local church, but I am focused on what I can give to this local body of believers. And when we say church, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about me. We're not talking about staff. We're not talking about offices. We are talking about my covenant commitment to this local body of people, this set of believers that I will live in unity, that I will live in generosity, that I will live in love, and I will live in commitment to this group of people. And the reason I enter into that covenant relationship is because I want to make it formally known that I'm not here for what I can get out of it. I want to make it formally known that I am here for what I can give to it. It's a covenant type of relationship. The covenant is based on the fact that your church would stay grounded on the teachings of the word of God. But to the element and to the point that it stays grounded on these teachings, then a lot of the peripherals can be here or they can be there. As long as we stay centered on that, then there is a covenant understanding that this relationship will continue to happen regardless of whether or not my preferences happen. Regardless of whether or not I get what I expect to get out of it. But as long as we take a strong stand on the word of God, then the covenant says, I'm committed, I am generous, I am going to abide in unity and in love in a covenantal way with this local church body. So these are three illustrations that the word of God gives us in regards to covenant type relationships. The parent-child relationship is supposed to be covenant-oriented. The marriage relationship is to be covenant-oriented. The church relationship, your relationship, not with a church office, not with a denomination, your church relationship to this body of people is to be covenantly-oriented. And so when somebody formally joins in covenant relationship with the Ambassador Baptist Church, be it known that they are very much aware that they are not entering into that relationship for what they can get from you. They are entering into that relationship to say to you as a body of believers that they are committing themselves to love you, to be generous towards you on your behalf, and to commit to you in thick and in thin. And so when somebody makes that sacred step and and we show a video and they enter into covenant relationship with us, that's a really big deal because we emphasize around here that relationship has a whole lot more to do And covenant relationship has more to do with with what they're going to give to it than anything they're going to get. You can get anything you want out of this relationship just by coming. This relationship with this local body. But in covenant relationship, you're saying, I covenant to love, to commit, and to be generous regardless of what I get out of it. Regardless of whether or not my preferences happen or do not happen. Regardless of whether or not everything goes exactly the way I, I would choose for them to go. Because I have made a covenant relationship to love, to be generous, and to commit on that basis. So I hope that helps you understand a little bit just the definition here of covenant relationship as opposed to contractual relationship. And I hope this kind of gives us a little bit of deeper understanding on it. Let's go a little bit more here and then we'll try to kind of wind this up and we'll be done with lesson number one in our understanding of kind of a covenant framework. 
The word covenant occurs in the scriptures 292 times. It is a huge theme in the word of God. This is not just something that kind of just pops up once, and so we're going to build this whole theological framework around something that just happened one or two times. Over the next few weeks, we're going to start unpacking all of these 292 passages of scripture. It's going to become very biblically intense as we move from passage to passage, verse to verse, examining scripture with scripture. These lessons here are just trying to lay just an academic understanding. So as we move into talking about these terms that we're all on the same page here a little bit, but 292 times the word is used, the word covenant is used in the scriptures. Now, let me give you an ancient biblical illustration because in the Old Testament, when the term covenant was used, it would conjure up particular images in the minds of the people that this Bible passage was written to. So in ancient biblical times, when a covenant was being made, oftentimes what would happen is a servant would make a covenant with his master, or the employee would make a covenant with his employer or his boss, okay? And this was the realm in which a lot of these covenants would take place in. The Hebrew word for covenant is derived from a root word which means to cut. So when we talk about covenant, the underpinnings of this word, the very deep etymology of this word would speak of that which cuts asunder. This understanding comes from the ancient custom of cutting and dividing an animal into two parts. And so this is how they would have done it several thousand years ago. They would take a goat or they would take another animal of sorts. They would literally split that animal into two. They would put one of its parts on one side and one part on the other. And then the servant would then make a covenant to his master. And as he was walking through the two parts of this animal, this ancient kind of custom, they would walk through and with their words, they would speak the covenant to their master. They would say to their master, whatever the covenant was, I commit with a spirit of love, with a spirit of generosity, and with a spirit of commitment, this is the specifics of the covenant that I'm making to you. And depending on whatever that covenant was, he would utter those words, understanding that it was from a heart of love, understanding that it was from a heart of commitment, understanding that it was a, from a heart of generosity. And they would walk through those parts as if to literally be saying, May I be torn apart like these animals if I fail to uphold my covenant. That was the understanding in a covenant ritual such as this. It's very Old Testament oriented, ancient customs. And you say, why are you sharing all those gruesome details with us? Because I want you to get in the head of an individual who would know what was being talked about here when the term covenant was being used. The Bible teaches that God only relates to his people. This is big. God only relates to his people through covenant. We're going to start unpacking this over the next several weeks. It is the only way in which God relates to his people. He only relates to them in context to covenant. We're going to see how he relates to Abraham through covenant. We're going to see how he relates to the nation of Israel in a covenant. 
And then eventually we're going to see through the grace covenant how God relates to those who by faith are in Christ, who are grafted in, how he relates to them in a very specific, unique covenant called grace. And we're going to unpack this in the days ahead. So we saw for a moment defining the essence of a covenant. I hope you have a little bit deeper of an understanding on what that word even means. But let's very briefly, as we wrap it up, describe the effects of a covenant. What are the effects of a covenant? I mentioned earlier in the message, this was going to be much more intellectual, much more academic. It's going to be much more mind-oriented because we're just doing the second part of what we started last week. And so trying to take two messages and cram them into one, I'm hoping to give you kind of an academic foundation for where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. But what would be the effects of a covenant? If someone makes a covenant with you, here's a couple of things you'd be able to assume. If somebody made a covenant with you, you could assume that that person loves you. In biblical times, a covenant would not be made with somebody who didn't love you. They might drop a contract, but they would not make a covenant. A covenant was founded on love. If somebody made a covenant with you, second thing you could assume is that they were committed to you. They were dedicating themselves to you. And so if somebody came, if in our illustration, that servant made a covenant with his master, the underlying premise of that covenant would be that that servant was committed and dedicated to their master. That would be the, that would be the general understanding. The third general understanding, if someone made a covenant with you, is that they were committing to be highly generous on your behalf. Highly generous. On your behalf. And these are the understandings of the effects of the covenant. You see, a contractual relationship focuses on what? What I can get from the relationship. That's not to say you don't give anything, but the focus and the emphasis of a contractual relationship is basically focused and it emphasizes what you're going to get out of it. This is not the case with a covenant relationship. When somebody makes a covenant relationship with you, and as we're going to see, when God made a covenant relationship with you, it is not going to be primarily about what he can get out of it. That relationship, that covenant is basically founded on his love, his generosity, his commitment, and his dedication to you on your behalf. And he's not laying that covenant towards you so what he can get out of it. He makes that relationship with you primarily on what he can give to you. He's promising in advance what he's going to give to you on your behalf. It is the underpinnings of his promises that he gives to us. So what are these effects? You see, a covenant is a stunning blend of law and love. Covenant is a stunning blend of law and love. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 20, one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, for all, don't miss this word, this is really big, all the promises of God in him, who's in him, in Jesus, is the context here, all the promises of God in Jesus are, the word here is used, yea, it would make more sense to our modern ear to hear the word yes, all the promises of God in Jesus are yes. 
If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, the promises that God made to Jesus on your behalf, every one of them get answered, yes. What promises has God made? And the answer, if he's made it to Christ, his son, then to you, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. It means complete. It means done. It means finished. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Jesus, they're finished. They're done. They're complete. Unto the glory of God, notice this, by us. That we get to experience the benefits of his generosity. The benefits of his commitment and dedication. That we get to experience the benefits of that covenant because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. There's so much more we're going to begin to unpack over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to stay with us as we look at this. What we're going to see in the weeks ahead is this grace covenant compassion frees us to love God from a pure heart without any ulterior motives and with no strings attached. Many Christians love God for what they can get out of it because that is their theological framework. They believe if they do something certain for God, if they love God in a certain way, this is what they're going to get from God. Their entire understanding of their relationship with God is primarily contractual in nature. They don't understand that the relationship that they have with God is not contractual, but rather it is covenantal. They have a covenantal relationship with God, not a contractual one. Because of this contractual understanding of the relationship with God, they sincerely believe that there is something they have to do, there is something they have to say, there is something they have to think, there is a particular way in which they must believe in order to experience these promises and blessings from God. They, that's, that's their theological framework, and so that's how they interact with God. And because of that, they are literally unable to love God purely. Their theological framework, their theological perspective is totally based on what they can, what they can do so they can get something from God, and it is impossible for them to love God with no motive. They can't do it. Their theological paradigm the framework of their thinking doesn't allow them to love God with no strings attached. They can't even do it because their entire relationship is built on a contractual foundation. Even if they're sincere, even if they try to push those motives to the back burner, even if they try to say with their tongue there's no strings attached, the entire relationship in their mind is contractual. I do this because God does that. And though they, with their tongue, speak of a covenantal-type relationship that, with that, that they have with God, in their everyday life, they struggle to love God purely with no strings attached because the only way they've ever been taught to experience God is on a contractual plane. If I want to experience this promise, if I want to experience this blessing, if I want to experience that, I've got to do this. And as we said last week, that entire perspective is based on a skewed understanding of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. Yes, the Old Covenant is full of that type of teaching. No doubt about it. It's all over the place. 
But who was that contraction made with? Who was the contract made with? That's what we're going to unpack in the next couple of weeks. Was it made to those who are believers in Christ? Or was it made with the nation of Israel? Did that contract end? Did another something take its place? See, if you look and you interpret God's contract with Israel as being to you, and then you go to the new covenant, and you take one or two verses out of context, you will be able to create a theological framework that leads you to believe that God relates to us primarily on a contractual plane. But it also leads us to a place where we're speaking out of both sides of our mouths. Because we look at one verse and we say, well, that Bible says that, but then it also says that. And it, we, we start speaking out of both sides of our mouths. We get really confused. And all of a sudden there's these contradictions that we can't seem to make sense of. And like, what's going on? And it just, at its foundation, it's just a, a lack of understanding of just some basic biblical, hermeneutical, biblical interpretation understanding. A basic lens on how we interpret Old Testament, how we interpret New Testament. Who was it written to? What does that mean for us? What was its purpose for us? Why is it in the Bible? These are all questions that are incredibly, incredibly important for us to answer. And we're going to in the weeks ahead. I said last week, these first couple of messages, we're going to create a whole lot more questions than they do answers. And I want to encourage you with this. Just keep coming back. Each week, we're going to focus on one aspect of the questions that all this unpacks. And each week, we're going to, seem to, we're going to attempt to answer these questions. What are the specific ramifications of this new covenant for 21st century believers? What does this mean? What does it not mean? Because it might be that you're sitting here right now and you're, you're trying to analyze this thing out. Well, this must mean that and that must mean those things. Just hold on. We're going to take this thing piece by piece by peace. And as we move through it, I hope and my prayer, my desire is that we would get a hermeneutical framework, a, a, a Bible interpretive paradigm that would allow us to interpret the scriptures the way the Holy Spirit intends for us to interpret it. That's our heart, that's our desire, and that's what we're looking to accomplish. Let me just say in conclusion, why is this all so important? Because the way you interpret God's love for you if it is contractual in nature, it will influence the way you love him back. Somebody who, who interacts with their relationship with God in a contractual manner, it does affect how you love him, how you serve him, how you obey him. In some regards, it's, it's pretty effective. And in other regards, it's horrible. When we have a covenantal type relationship with God, it changes the way in which we can interact with him the way we love him, the way we serve him, and the way we can ultimately, and really, I will say this, it is the only way in which we can glorify him. We'll unpack that. If we fail to understand how God loves us, we will fail to love God properly. And so our takeaway for this whole series is just simply this. I want to encourage our church family to unashamedly live in his unconditional love. To unashamedly live in his unconditional love. How are you doing at experiencing God's unconditional love that is yours, this covenant love that is yours in Christ? How are we doing? Are you truly experiencing God's 
unconditional love. You won't want to miss next week. We're going to talk about the Old Covenant. We're going to talk about what it was, what its purpose was. Why is it in the Bible? How does it affect our lives in the 21st century? Did it end? If so, when? Next week, we're going to start to unpack kind of the nuances of what the old covenant was. And then the following week, we'll do a similar thing to what the new covenant is and what it is and what was its purpose. When does it start? Did it end? These are very, very important questions for us to have a proper biblical interpretation of Scripture. Or we are going to end up with a hodgepodge of mixed nuts theologically. (laughs) Speaking out of both sides of our mouth, saying things that are confusing to somebody who's just trying to logically look at it. And we're going to end up interpreting the scriptures in much the same way that A.J. Jacobs interpreted the Bible when he wrote his book. Just end up kind of out there. Confused with all these kind of contradictions. Only focusing on one, but kind of ignoring the others because we don't know what to do with it. So I hope this will help us just to systematically interpret the Bible as God would have us to interpret it, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.